Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have Abbas Mohabad from us from Model Equity. Abbas is a multifamily guy out there in the Bay Area, and it looks like he invests in Texas. Um, I'm super excited to have him here. He's gone up to he's up to 54 million in assets under management, which is a great uh, track record. So, Abbas, I am super excited to have you. Thanks for hopping on the show. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. I'm excited for this. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. All Everybody in real estate has a good story. I'm sure you're you're one yeah. and the same. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? How'd you get started in real estate? Absolutely. So I actually uh, got started early on. Originally, you know, I'm from Iraq and um, growing up, my family well, didn't have any money, slept on concrete. And so I, I always hated that as a, as a kid. And then uh, we immigrated to the U.S. when I was just 11 years old. And, um, you know, same story. We lived in uh, we lived on food stamps. We had housing assistance. And so I always hated that. And I remember when I was 18, I'm like, look, I going to college and getting a job was not going to really uh, move the needle for for my family or myself. And so I need to do something different. And so I ended up getting my real estate license at the time. And then just kind of going all in. So I got, I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was going to get in and cash 30,000 checks every week. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I I quickly found out that was a mistake. And so I uh, failed miserably, literally for a full year. I was cold calling all day long, mm. 16 hours a day. And uh, after doing that for 12 months, I finally got my first transaction as an agent. Wow. Uh, it was it was tough. I wanted to quit literally every day, but I just kind of kept through it. And uh, after doing that, I got my first transaction. Then I started doing much better. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was making about 350000 a year, um, which for me was great. I mean, that was more money than I thought I would. That's I would great make. for anybody, man. That's, uh, yeah. that's bankable money right there. It was it was good. And so but then I again, I was still working 15, 16 hours. And I wasn't seeing my family. I wasn't spending time doing anything really besides being in the office all day long. And so then I learned that I need to start delegating and setting up processes and systems in the business so that it could operate without me being in there all the time. And so I learned how to hire virtual assistants at the time. So I hired my first virtual assistant, then a second, then a third. And then um, in 2020, we went up to 12. I tripled my business profits that year. And then in 2021, I did the same thing. We went from 12 to 25, and I tripled my business profits. Again, we were doing close to $2 million a year in profit. Um, I became top 50 in the country with Remax. And so business was doing really well. But that year, you know, I was starting to also accumulate cash in the bank. And I, you know, I was good at making money. I just didn't know where to invest it at the time. And so I looked at many options. I actually thought originally I was going to get into the single family route and build out a big empire there with of portfolio. But then I realized quickly that all these guys that had built single family portfolios ended up moving to multifamily for many reasons. And so then I'm like, you know what, I'll just skip single family completely and I'll jump straight into multifamily. So I started investing passively. And from there on, I started actively buying deals uh, in the middle uh, of 2021. Nice, man. And yeah, I uh, I love that you, you skip single family. Everybody you know, when they've decided that they want to start investing in real estate, 
most people think that you have to start, you know, you have to buy a single family house. Absolutely. You do not have to. And I would not recommend it. I don't like uh, owning single family houses. It's just the economies of scale aren't there and it's a headache. Um, you saw that. I love that you saw that and you jumped right to multifamily, which is, uh, which is really good. Um, I actually had a lot of clients that own single family and I saw their experience. They were dealing with tenants all the time. They were dealing with evictions taking nine months because I live in, in, in California. So you know how that is. Um, and so I just, I'm like, listen, I, you can't pay me enough money to deal with that crap. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you guys, you've had some good experience in, uh, in multifamily. Um, yeah. So there's some routes we can take with this conversation. I want to talk about your multifamily uh, portfolio and kind of how you got there. But first, I want to go into your VAs. Um, creating systems, creating processes is one of, if not the most important thing when it comes to really building a a solid business, especially when even if you're an investor, you just want to buy things. If you want to get a pipeline of leads coming to you, you need to have those systems and processes to help them come to you. Um, so let's just dive right in, get into your, your VAs. Uh, you said you started, you've been doubling it year over year, the number of VAs you use. Um, so let's go back to that first VA you hired. What did they do and how did you kind of this and would you change anything? Um, you know, mm -hmm. if you did it over again, what did that first VA do and, and what would you have them do now? Yeah. So we've hired and fired since hundreds. So I would definitely do a lot yeah. of things different, uh, <laughs> but to, to keep it simple. So that was in my sales business. Originally, I started hiring VAs for that purpose. And uh, the first job that I gave him was I looked at my calendar and literally eight hours, 10 hours a day, it was just cold calling. And so to me, the first thing I needed to get off my plate was cold calling. So I hired her, someone to do that. From there on, I uh, two months later, we I saw that we were doubling our leads every week. So I'm like, okay, well, this is working well. Let me try to, to do it again. Maybe this was an accident. Who knows? Hired a second person. She did the same thing. I'm like, okay, this is not an accident anymore. I could see it happening twice now. So I hired a third person and then COVID hit. When COVID hit, everybody was like laying people off and reducing their marketing. I'm like, I'm like this is crazy. People are going to move at some point. Maybe not right now because COVID just started. This was in March. So at the time, I hired a hiring manager and I said, your job is to grow the team as fast as possible. Even if I get worried and I tell you to stop spending money and stop hiring, don't worry about what I tell you. Just keep hiring people because I know <laughs> this is the right decision. And so she just she just kept doing that. And uh, in July or August, business started moving again. And But we were way ahead of everybody because all this time we were hiring more people and building our database further. And so then it's like we really blew up um, that year for us. We did really well. I uh, like so I tripled my income that year. And then, you know, 2021, I just I did the exact same thing. But what I did is my my first role was called caller. The second was a hiring manager because I was spending so much time hiring. Then I realized I was spending so much time training people. So I hired a training manager. And then I realized I was spending so much time now doing follow-up on all of our actual sellers. And so then I hired salespeople to do the follow-up. And then I realized I was spending so much time just going on appointments to get those listings and nothing else. So then I hired someone to do that for me. And then I basically went out of the business at that point. Um, so April of 2022, I completely exited the business. And so now I literally have zero involvement in it, but I still own it, still generates money for me every, every month. And it's actually, we're having some of our best months right now, uh, which all is right. pretty cool. And it's like with zero involvement. So it's kind of mind blowing. And 
And I took the same approach to multifamily. When I first started, I was spending a lot of time analyzing deals, underwriting deals. And a lot of these deals obviously don't pencil out. So then I hired an analyst, taught him how to do it. And so, um, and so then now he does that. I only look at a deal once it's, it's you know, ready to go. Um, and if we're actually interested in digging deeper, then I spend my time on it. Uh, but then I also noticed I was doing the same thing with, with email and with marketing. So I hired people to do that. And then recently I hired someone in the U.S. though this time uh, to help us with fundraising from higher net worth individuals and family offices. And so it's just basically looking at what deficiencies do you have in the business, whether it's a time constraint or maybe it's a skill constraint. And then just finding people to to you know do those things for you. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting way to kind of um, start building out your team is looking at your calendar and being like, look, nine out of ten of my meetings or nine out of the ten of the blocks that are taken up in my calendar are occupied by this specific task. Right. Let's hire for that. Um, yep. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You started with cold calling. Um, it sounds like you went to data to hiring managers to trainers to sales. So every time that your calendar started filling up with a specific task you just hired for that task uh, with a VA. So love to see that. It sounds like that's the, a very natural and um, and uh, common sense way to, to build a team. Do you, when you're hiring these VAs, um, you mentioned at the very end, you hired a US-based uh, VA. So that means everybody else was out of, out of country. Um, how do you find good VAs and how do you, well, let's just start there. How do you find good VAs <laughs> Um, for the first few roles that you you hired for? Yeah, so when I first started, I actually just went through a third-party company that would hire people for us. Later on, I and this was, by the way, before COVID. Before COVID, VAs were not like as popular as, as a thing as they are now. So we didn't really have many good options, to be honest with you. And so I remember um, hired this company. I was paying almost US rates, to be honest with you. It's like $11, 11 and a half of the time. Uh, this was back in 2019. And uh, and what I realized is the people that were working for these companies, a lot of times couldn't get jobs on their own because if they could, they would be getting double the pay directly from, from you know someone that they work for. And so um, we just weren't getting very good quality. So then I, I literally went out and learned the process on my own. And so what we would do is every country you will realize later on is that every country has their own um, equivalent of what Craigslist is is in the U.S. Mm. You know how Craigslist yep. is like, yep. like a job board in a way. Yep. So we found out that every country has a major website like that. And so we would post on these websites and then we would get literally, in some cases, thousands of applicants on these job ads, thousands. And so you can't filter them yourself. There's too much time. So what I set up is I set up um, part of the application process is they have to answer like 32 questions. And it's kind of like a test. It's a mental quiz to determine how, how you know, smart someone is basically in a way. Um, and so after they do that, if they qualify, they meet our criteria. Then we start having them basically interviewed by my, my, my uh, hiring manager, which basically would test out a bunch of different things. But it was kind of a process. It took me months to build out. And uh, and I made a lot of mistakes, but I also realized at some point that with VAs specifically is that if I want to hire one person that's going to fill the role, I need to hire four at the same time because I know two will two will quit, one I'll fire, and then one I'll keep. Interesting. That's a. I feel like that's a good gem. If you're going to take anything from this episode, definitely take that gem because it has definitely it's played out in my own business um, when you know hiring smaller positions like this. The volume, I know, you know, it sounds it sounds not negative or cynical, but 
when you're hiring for, you know, VA positions, sales positions, you you're hiring four of them and you're expecting one to actually work out. I feel, yep. I mean, that's, that kind of plays out with what I see in my own business. So um, it's, 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 you know, it might not be the most popular thing to say, but it's the truth. And it's like a lot of these lower level uh, type of positions, they're just, they're not for everybody, you know? So mm-hmm. people come in, they try them out. They're like, Oh, I'm out. I don't want to do this actually. And so that's why it's, it's like, there's nothing against the people. It's just not for everybody. And even yeah. in the U S by the way, if you look at U S based, um, salespeople and cold callers. It has salespeople in the U.S. have one of the highest turnover rates. I mean, mm. um, in in any industry, really. And so that's that's in the U.S. That's outside the U.S. So if you're going to hire people to do these type of tasks, they just you know it's just not for everybody, and that's okay. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. We actually just hired for a a sales position, um, cold calling, and uh, you know we got some good applicants. But this one applicant that we had, um, you know, obviously I won't I won't share his name, but he he had you know, he'd already built a company and sold it and he had all this experience. And I was, I just told him like, Hey man, this is not the position for you. No offense, but you're, you're much higher. Well, obviously no offense, but he's, he just, his skills were way outside of uh, what we were asking. And I could tell this was, it wasn't going to be a long-term position. So I just told him like, you know, this isn't for you. You have to find good fit, um, fit for the role. Not everybody is going to fit into the role that you're trying to hire for. So, um, yeah, love to hear that. So you use that in your brokerage firm. Uh, you you got a hiring manager. You got cold callers. Did you use things like Upwork? Um, I've never heard of actually using job boards like Craigslist in other countries to find roles. Do you ever use like Upwork or Fiverr or anything like that? We we have, but very rarely. Um, it's oversaturated in my opinion. It's so mm-hmm. much easier to go through job boards like that because you get access to, like I said. I could post a job ad right now and I could get a thousand applicants in less than a week. Wow. And yeah. is this, do you, are there specific countries that you find, um, you know, greater success with or mm-hmm. which so countries? I I started, when I first started, it was all Philippines. Um, cause that was kind of, you know, the, the most accessible at the time. And so then I found out that you could do the same thing in, 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 uh, Pakistan, if you want to hire like video editors or whatever, these are great in Pakistan. Um, and then salespeople we hire from Mexico or Argentina or whatever, because uh, they have a much more similar culture in a way where it's like they can understand um, how to communicate with people better when it comes to sales. Um, so it really, you know, depends. But every country I've realized just kind of has more of like a specialty in a way. Mm. And as you um, as you continue to hire people, you start to see patterns. And so now we hire from many different countries, but I would say the majority of our VAs are still the Philippines. Interesting. Yeah. Philippines. Um, I've, I've hired a few from the Philippines as well. They, they work pretty well. In fact, my, uh, the podcast producer that I use is from the Philippines and they are oh. kicking butt. If they, if you guys are listening to this episode, love you guys. Thank you for helping out. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move us on to, uh, to your multifamily. So you've, you've built your business in as a broker, um, and then you started investing in multifamily, and uh, you know that's what we love to hear is moving up, getting these big units to uh, to to purchase. Um, how did you decide on the metro that you wanted to invest in, and how did you decide on multifamily as an asset? Yeah, so to me, one of the things I realized from my uh, single family sales time is that really one of the most important aspects of investing is choosing the right market because mm-hmm. if you choose the right market, you 
you could make a lot of mistakes and the market will help you overcome these mistakes because the market takes everybody up if it's going up. And if it's going down, you could be a perfect operator and you just can't do well. Um, so to me, choosing the market was number one criteria. So I, I analyzed literally thousands of deals by then. And so what I realized there are patterns and and in real estate, it's basically it's a supply and demand. And so one of the things I first look at is population growth. I want to see what is the population growth in that specific market, because the higher the population is, the more demand you're going to see, the more appreciation you're going to see, the more uh, rental hikes you're going to see. And so uh, population growth was the number one criteria. The second is job growth. If people are moving to a place, I want to see new jobs, new companies isn't there. Um, then I look at you know things like, do they have rent growth? Do they have appreciation? And is it higher than the U.S. averages? Because if there's a lot of population growth, there should be rent growth. And if there isn't, maybe that market is overbuilt. Maybe it's oversupplied. And so that's one of the other things I look for. Um, I want landlord friendly. So even though Oregon, Washington might have a lot of population growth, I'll not invest there because they're anti-landlord. Um, and I had experience with that in California, where if you want to evict someone, it takes you nine months, 12 months, and you're not getting paid a dime during that time frame. So it's just, it's scary. Um, but then afterwards, after I choose a, a market, then I choose the sub-market, the neighborhoods. And with neighborhoods, um, I want to see minimum income of $40,000 a year or higher. Now, if I'm thinking that I could push rents up to $2,000 a month, I want the area income to be $6,000 a month. Why? Because it's a 3x multiple. That's what management companies look for. So depending on what the rent is, I want the income to be 3x that per year. Um, so so that's kind of some, some of the things I look for. I focus more on established neighborhoods. Specifically, I focus on B-class properties nowadays because um, during times like this, B-class is, is benefits the most because people from A-class buildings, which are newer, much more expensive, move down to B-class. And then B-class is kind of the most insulated. Um, C-class people generally, you know, most of the time can't go up to B-class, right? Uh, but B-class is the most insulated in the sense that it has demand um, on the on, on a down market and demand on an up, up market, which is, which is great. So that's what I focus on nowadays. Nice. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and are you guys, you guys are mostly in Texas, correct? We're only in Dallas right now. Okay. Um, I really like that market. And so I, I don't see a reason to go beyond Dallas. I also built a lot of relationships with brokers in Dallas. And so that's helping us get a lot of off-market deal flow. Yeah, I uh, I love Dallas. I own two self-storage facilities out there and it is, it's killer. I've said this a couple of times. Was, yeah. And that airport out there, holy hell, that is a massive airport. I feel like oh. I was driving for 20 minutes and I couldn't get to the <laughs> other side of the airport. <laughs> oh, you went to the international one there because they have to they have the smaller left field one. And that's like for a quick in and out type of thing. But, but yeah, the international one is huge. See, I didn't I didn't know the market. I didn't know which airport to choose. There you go. <laughs> Another reason to uh, to know your market. Mm. All right. Well, hey, um, we are running down the clock. Um, before we move to uh, to the next section, I do just want to ask finding deals is the most important part or one of the most important parts of real estate. So what is the uh, the way that you guys uh, prefer to find deals in your markets? Yeah. So the way I do it uh, is basically by building broker relationships. So I go into the market, I identify all the brokers in the market, and then I just, I add them on social media. I build relationships with all of them. Um, when I fly out, I fly out to 
take them out to dinners and lunches and events and all these different things because I want to build those relationships. But really, I also focus a lot on more of the junior brokers than the senior brokers because the senior brokers that have been doing it for 10 years or whatever, they've already got relationships. So I focus on the more junior brokers that are still looking for buyers that you know they want to add to their database. And then they'll grow in the business eventually. And so you'll grow with them. And so um, I focus on those buyers, I'm sorry, those um, brokers, and uh, that's how I get all my deal flow. It's, you know, nowadays, when I started, obviously, it wasn't off-market, but nowadays, it's almost exclusively off-market deals. I see them like two, three months before they pop up on the market, and so that gives us a huge advantage. And, you know, there are other methods, like you could cold call, you could send out mailers, all that stuff, but then you start competing with the brokers, and then you, you lose a big amount of deal flow because you're trying to, you know go after a seller and they're going after the same seller. So then it's like you're competing with them, which I personally don't prefer to do. That makes sense. It all comes down to making those relationships. Um, I mean, even with brokers, it's it's most of the deals are done off market. It's just that um, with a broker, they'll bring it to you before they list it. And so I, lo- I love that, um, you know, developing those relationships, getting into a market and just going out there and, uh, and meeting the brokers in the market that are making moves. So 100%. great. Great way, um, great way to do it. I'm gonna move us on to the quick question round. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Starts with books or any form of education. Give me two recommendations: one for general life wisdom, and then one for real estate specific. Yeah, I would say general life is good to great, and uh, that's by Jim Collins. One of my favorite books. Uh, phenomenal, and it just kind of talks about what you need to to do in order to go from being good to being great. And it's it's a small difference, but it, it makes a big difference in your results. Um, the other is in terms of real estate specifically is by Stephen Schwartzman. He's the guy that started uh, Blackstone okay. and uh, they own like now $850, $900 million of assets. And uh, his book is Whatever It Takes. I recommend this book to everybody. This guy is just insane. It's phenomenal. Highly recommend it because it really shows you how hard it is um, to to build a business, but you know he also goes over the fact that it takes as much work to build a big business as it does to build a small business. So if you're going to build any business, you might as well build a big business build a anyway. Big business, you're going to put yeah. a lot of work anyway. And now I'm, I'm experiencing this because I put in a lot of time to build my sales business, and that's a small business in comparison to multifamily. Yeah. And now I'm putting in work, and multifamily is the same. So I'm like, God, I wish I could have saved five years of my life and just jump straight into this. But you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I love that. Whatever it takes, I will have to. Uh, you're the first person to recommend that on the show. I'm gonna have to take a take a peek at it because it sounds like something I like. Um, yep. And I love that piece of advice. Start big. You know, like we said earlier, don't start with single family. It's it's just as much work as multifamily, and uh, you get a tenth. Probably a more work, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're going out there meeting all the contractors. It's it's a hellhole. So definitely start big. Um, I love that piece of advice. I'm going to move us on. This is the next question and it's for your younger self. So let's go back to the Abbas who was, uh, let's say he was just getting started as a realtor a number of years back. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. One piece of advice, I would say think bigger. I always thought I was thinking big at the time, but as I continued to go through life, I realized I wasn't thinking big enough. And had I thought that I could have done more at that time, I would have been able to figure out a way to produce more. But I just, I, I always thought I was thinking big and I was moving at a pace, but 
you know, when I meet other people that are far ahead of me in life, I just realize it, it puts it into perspective where I'm at versus where I could be. And so that's always nice to meet other people that are way ahead because it really puts it into perspective. So, yeah, I think bigger uh, because really we could all do more than what we think we could do. Man, that is uh, that is great advice. And it's another reason that you should surround yourself um, with people that are where you want to be, because uh, you're right. It's hard to think bigger when you don't have a model for it. Um, but once you have that model, everything clicks and you're like, yep, yeah. that's where I want to go. Becomes reality. Exactly. Uh, moving us on. This is about the ups and downs of real estate. Um, real estate is not a linear job. No jobs linear, but real estate, I feel especially is there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, so think of one time and we're going to get the up right after this, but this now we're going into the down. Think of one time that shit hit the fan for you. What did you learn and uh, what are you doing differently now uh, that that um, period taught you? Yeah, so I actually remember from January uh, 2022 to June of 2022, uh, the market was insanely overpriced. I literally looked at 400 deals. We underwrote so many deals. I, I flew all over the country. And I didn't buy a single one because to me, the market was way overpriced at the time. And I remember, so I'm in the Dallas market. And so we underwrote so many deals and nothing was penciling out. I thought, God, maybe I'm just, maybe we're just not being competitive enough. Maybe this market is now overpriced. Let me try other markets. So I went out, I built relationships and, and Nashville started getting deal flow and flying out to Nashville many times to, to look at deals. Then nothing was penciling out in Nashville. Then I, then I started looking at Phoenix. Then I started looking at Florida. And I was driving myself nuts. I'm like, what are we doing wrong? How am I losing by $4 million, $5 million on these deals? It's like not even a small margin. It's a big margin. And then later on, I just realized, look, the market was overpriced. It wasn't my fault. And I should have just stayed in Dallas and just focused my attention on other areas of the business I could have grown at. And when the market fixes itself, then I'll go back in. And so that's what happened is in July the market has already gone way down at the time. And so I started buying again and, and it's like, I wish I could get that, get that six months back. Cause I could have spent that time better, but it is what it is. So that was definitely a mistake I made in 2022 is I spent my time trying to make sense of, th of something that wasn't making sense at all. Yep. Well, I think uh, another good lesson there is stick to your underwriting. Um, it's yep. so, so tempting once you're, you're on a deal and you really want to buy something to just kind of, you know, give a little bit here, but do not do that because that is where um, that's where you're going to get bit. And uh, so stick to your underwriting. If it doesn't make sense, there's a reason it doesn't make sense. Um, leave those yep. deals to somebody else. All right. So now we're going to the top because real estate also has really good peaks. It's a lot of fun. Um, so tell us one of one of the deals that you are most proud of, most excited about. Um, what is it and why do you like it so much? So that same uh, deal I got under contract in July, we closed it in December. And uh, three weeks prior to closing, the bank pulled out of the deal. They completely changed their terms. Um, we had, uh, and then we had a pref equity that was supposed to come in. They pulled out three weeks before the next closing. And so like, we just had so many different issues because interest rates were changing while we were in the middle of the deal and the whole market was changing. But the deal was amazing. I mean, it was an off-market deal. Numbers were phenomenal. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up going back to the seller and we're like, listen, I don't want to deal with this, all this crap with the lenders. Let me just take over your loan, which is now actually cheaper than anything we could get in the market. And also you were going to pay a 700,000 penalty. Let me get that as a discount. It doesn't affect you in any way because it's, it's, you're going to pay that as a penalty anyways. Just give it to us. So that makes the deal cheaper on us. And then, you know, throwing some money as, as a kind of a seller investment at a certain um, 
kind of like a seller finance. So, so we ended up doing that and we closed on the deal. And I, I look back, there were so many times where I wanted to just throw in the towel and say, this is not working out. I'll just stay out of the market until things stabilize. Uh, but going through it and actually getting that deal closed, looking back, I'm just like, thank God I didn't pull out because it's a phenomenal deal. We're now in month two and we're already going to start distributing cash to our investors and the numbers are working out really well. So sometimes it's like, man, things get hard. I remember when I first got into real estate, it took me 12 months to get one deal. And I, I remember I was one week away. I literally was one week away from quitting. I said, if I don't get a deal this week, I'm done with real estate. I'm going to go back <laughs> to college and I'll get a job and just kind of do that. And And I got a deal and it's like, there were so many times where I was so close to quitting and had I quit, my life would have been completely different. And so it's just, man, sticking through things until, until they work is a really important lesson. And I keep, I keep having to remember that as I continue to grow. Absolutely. Persistence is key in real estate. Absolutely. All right. That moves us to the next question. This is about mentors. Uh, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So who is one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today? Yeah, I would say my first mentor ever uh, in real estate. I was, uh, like I said, I was failing miserably. I hired this guy by the name of Bob Leffler, and um, he completely changed my business because at the time he's like, listen, I'm going to give you a framework and you're going to do it exactly like I tell you how to do it. And you're not going to change anything. You're not going to try to be smart. You just stop thinking and do exactly what I tell you. And I did that. And after six months of just blindly following, through what, what he'd been telling me to do after six months, I got my first result and and he helped me scale up like set to 350,000 um, a year at, at 20, which was great for me at the time. And so uh, if I had not met that mentor, I would have probably failed out of the business completely. And I would have, again, not been in real estate now. And so that's been definitely life changing. So um, I think I think getting education is pivotal. Every time I want to learn a new skill, I always go to a mentor. And, you know, it, sometimes it costs a lot of money because especially as you get into the specialized skills, it starts being way more expensive. But, man, the time you save and the amount of mistakes that you end up not making because you work with someone who's been doing it for a long time, who's had successful results, is just worth every penny. Absolutely. Mentors definitely push you along the route. Um, so shout out to Bob. Thanks for helping Amas get to where he is today. And that leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. Um, you've given us a lot of good advice, a lot. I'm sure people out there want to reach out and get in contact with you. What is the best way for them to do that? I would say the best way is to go on our website. If they make an investor account, which is free, then they could book a call with me for 15 minutes. And it's, again, completely free. It's modelequity.com. That's M-O-D-E-L equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com forward slash invest. Modelequity.com forward slash invest. Um, and then they could make a, an account, fill out some information. It should take like 30 seconds and then they could book a call with me. Right on. All right. So modelequity.com. I will put that URL in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to Abbas, just go ahead and click a little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description in there. You can find Abbas's URL. Appreciate right. Well, hey, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much Appreciate for having on the show. Gabe, it's been awesome, man. Thank you so much. And I hope that the audience got a few things out of this. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe at the Real Estate Investing Club.com. If you guys want to support the show, all we ask is that you give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. 
Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.